0: Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, a stimulating look at culture, current events, faith, and politics from a Christian and conservative point of view. We don't just talk on the radio, we blog too. Check us out at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Now grab a cup of coffee and join us. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. And welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you by Myers & Associates, serving the Midwest with industrial maintenance products and services. Call them at 515 795 Three six seven six Myers and Associates, keeping your operations running. Welcome to another week of Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. This is Shane Vanderhart in studio. We've got Michael Mudloff, pastor of uh, West Kirk Presbyterian Church.
1: Good to be with you, Shane. To, Thanks for inviting me. Hey,
0: you're very welcome. Good to have you here with us. Uh, so, what, you ready for the Easter weekend?
1: Well, Easter Holy Week is in full swing for us at Westkirk. Uh, I
0: asked you to guest host at a great time, didn't yeah, I? Yeah,
1: I know. I thought, what was my first response? This is the busiest week of the uh, of the year, Shane. Yeah. Thanks. You're welcome. You're welcome.
0: Because you know we we know really pastors don't really they only work on Sundays. Yeah, so. they don't do anything. This is the thank uh, you, Ron. This is the
1: this is the one week where we actually are busy. Okay. Right? <laughs> and of so, course, I've only got like seven families in crisis too. It's like oh, okay. Oh my goodness. <laughs> nice, yeah. Well, I'm exaggerating, but it's one of those deals. It's part of part of pastoral ministry and. That's why we do what we do, and, and we pray and, and, uh, and trust that the Lord is glorified in all of our efforts this week, especially as we remember the great sacrifice He made in sending His Son and the sacrifice of the Son in being obedient to the Father and dying for us. Amen. Amen. So I wanted to give a, a shout-out. Hope,
0: hopefully I'm getting her name right. Julie at Chick-fil-A near Merle Hay. I was pulling through the drive-thru yeah. there, and a, as she handed me my food— uh, she said your name's very familiar you're on the radio so it's like ego boost and i'm like hey, yes <laughs> why yes i am shane is flying high today so uh, she she said you know as so i said i'm on in a truth 99.3 fm and she's like oh, i love that radio station and i said and so i talked a little bit more she asked what we were talking about today because i said matter of fact i'm going to go record so oh cool what are you guys doing today this week so i, I told her and so yeah. Well, you so, told her so, that I was your
1: guest co-host. I did you? actually, oh, and she didn't. And she you, said, "Who's she, he?" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> no. Just, well, she she nodded recognition. Whether she's okay, just, okay. Whether she's, she's just being, placating she's me or not. Thank you, Julie. Yeah. yeah so, Julie Chick Fil A. Um, anyway, that uh, a a quick uh, boost for them. So, hey, we'd like to welcome on on the show um, a very special guest on the line, uh, Derek Bars. Am I pronouncing your last name right, Derek? Yes, you are. Okay. All right. You, welcome, Derek. Welcome. Uh, you. you and your wife, uh, you guys are members of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America and Canada. Uh, That's we, right, and
2: we're going to church on the Lord's Day because it's the Lord's Day. We're a regulative principle of worship, folks. No yeah. no offense intended, but I we delight in the the resurrection of the Savior no matter what day of the year it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. We totally
0: agree with you. Yes, and I was actually going to make that point next, next segment when we talk about the
1: resurrection. Um, anyway, you— uh, you guys, and have, you're in beautiful Calgary, right?
2: Yes. Yes, we are.
1: Love Calgary. It's beautiful country up there.
2: So you have. Oh, go ahead. We we moved here in uh, May of last year. How long we remain here uh, remains to be seen, but we've certainly enjoyed our time here.
0: So are you are you guys both uh, native Canadians?
2: Yes, we are.
0: Okay. Um. And and uh, you guys are foster parents, right? Uh, uh, we were were uh, foster parents. Yes. Uh, so how long have you been foster parents and what was that process like? And then we'll get into what happened.
2: Well, it took quite a lot of doing to become foster parents. There was, uh, a week of solid training, uh, nine to three, uh, Monday to Friday. We had, uh, classes we sat in on. There was homework for us to do during that time. It, w- it was a solid week. There were a number of uh, meetings with uh, someone who came to our home and asked us, uh, very personal questions, appropriately so.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I, I have no concern over, over the process. Uh, we went through the process, and we were approved. Okay. So how long
0: have you been foster parenting?
2: We began in December of 2015. I should say we were approved December 17. Mm-hmm. Later that day, we learned about a need that, could, that needed to be filled, and we had two children in our home on the 18th. I this think day. that's
1: a significant part of the story right there because foster parenting is a difficult work and there's a lot of need for it. Absolutely. And the fact that uh, Derek and his wife received uh, children the very day they were approved is some kind of testimony to the need that is, is present up there in Canada, but also here in the Des Moines area. Yeah, absolutely. So but I think that's kind of an important part of this story. Absolutely. Huge need for foster
0: parents, whether you're in Canada or here in Iowa. Um, and I worked with System Kids for, oh gosh, well 10 years here in Iowa uh, with Serve Our Youth Network, and there was constant need for foster parents. So uh, thank you for, for doing that. But you kind of ran, so you had these kids in your home how long?
2: They were removed in early March, March four of 2016.
0: So it certainly had to do something, something to do with your parenting skills, right? <laughs>
2: um, that depends who you ask, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. what you're told.
0: So what was what was your offense?
2: Our offense was an unwillingness to tell the girls that Santa Claus exists and that the Easter Bunny exists. It, it became a great concern with our new social worker, that we tell the girls that the gifts they received came not from us, not by way of their parents, but from Santa Claus himself. And in the intake process, we had been above board that we were not prepared to go trick-or-treating with the girls on Halloween, that somebody from the agency would need to do that if the biological parents wanted this. Mm -hmm. Um, We told them also about uh, what we were and what we were not prepared to do with regard to Christmas and Easter. Okay. And, and we thought we had an arrangement with them, and that you, they would respect us.
1: You had disclosed up front, it was no secret that you were a Christian family.
2: Absolutely. And with regard to, to Santa Claus and Easter Bunny, that we viewed any and all lying as, as sin against God, as forbidden. We were not going to lie to the girls or any children in our care, mm-hmm. and they were, we were going to require that they tell us the truth
1: so this isn 't a situation, Derek, where you went out of your way to try to burst the bubble of the children about their preconceived notions regarding the you know the, the mythological Santa Claus or the mythological Easter bunny you just you just went about your business and when those opportunities as a part of the you know the regular uh, daily routine of the family confronted Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, you just you just did what most of us do, which is Acknowledge it, have fun with it, move along. But, but you never really went out of your way to, uh, to affirm the existence of these uh, images as being real. You didn't play along with the fantasy. Is that right?
2: Right. We, we didn't mention Santa Claus or Easter Bunny to the girls. Okay. There, um, there was a time when um, the, one of the children said, Santa Claus is not real, is he? And I affirmed that, but I again, we were not going to lie to the children. Um, we neither affirmed nor denied the existence of Santa Claus on or Easter Bunny on our own.
0: So where I guess where was a complaint made, or where what came to a head that the the, the social worker said,
2: "Hey, wait a minute, you guys." Well, the, the um, our worker from the agency said that the biological mother wanted. A picture of the girls with Santa Claus. We learned about this in January, so I mean, we don't have a time machine; we couldn't go back. Um, nobody was playing Santa Claus in January, as far as I know. Right. And what happens is there's a communication book that goes back and forth between biological parents and foster parents, and everything, every request of such of this kind should have come through the communication book from the biological parents. Right. So. As far as we know, we we didn't hear a word about Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny from the biological parents. This was entirely from the agency.
1: Hmm. Very interesting. If you wouldn't mind, I'd like to take a step back. uh, uh, A few years ago, several years ago, I had an opportunity to attend a church leadership evangelism conference up in Ottawa, and... um, Ottawa's not terribly close to Calgary. I know Americans are, are hopelessly myopic when it comes to geography around the world, uh, and that would include to our wonderful neighbors to the north. But but we happened to be in Ottawa. It was a Billy Graham event, uh, and, um, and I learned at that time something that was a surprise to me, and probably a surprise to most uh, Americans, which is that... Canadians and Canadian Christians do not have exactly the same uh, religious freedom and rights as we do here in the United States. In right. fact, I learned at the time that uh, that uh, speaking about uh, homosexuality in particular from the pulpit could get a pastor arrested. Could you kind of give us a little bit of a sense, uh, not from the perspective of a pastor—I don't believe you're a pastor, right, Derek— uh, well,
2: that depends. I hope to be ordained next Tuesday, if all well. Wow, wow, how fantastic. Congratulations. That's wonderful.
1: Praise God. Uh, tell us a little bit about your perspective on the, the difference that we as Americans, being here in Iowa and, and thinking about your story from how it might reflect on, on our lifestyle here, how how it, how it is different, because we think everything in Canada is just a bunch of Americans up north that talk a little bit funny.
2: Well, uh, I appreciate the, the question, and... What I would say is it's true a few people, a few militant people, have brought hate crimes, charges against Christians in Canada. I think it's also true that the government isn't very much aware and really doesn't care very much about what we're doing and what we're saying. Um, What I'd also say is that we do have a document, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, that does guarantee freedom of religion, the freedom of conscience and the freedom of expression. And so there's an organization called the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms that has taken our case, and we'll see if there's going to be legal action or not uh, against the Children's Aid Society. But the JCCF is maintaining that the agency, the foster parent agency, has violated mine and my wife's freedoms of religion, conscience, and expression.
1: Right. And part of that is because they have removed you as active foster parents over this incident, right? So it's not just a situation involving these, these, the uh, the, the, these particular children, these two girls that were in your home, but after that event, you were no longer allowed to foster at all. Am I correct?
2: Yes, you are. And I, I should say, too, that we attempted to compromise in the sense that the girls could have gone to a respite home over the Easter weekend, so that whatever the wishes of the biological parents were, that they could be carried out by somebody else, hmm. and my wife and I wouldn't be forced to violate our consciences. Um,
0: and, and why why they refuse that?
2: That's a very good question to which I don't have an answer, and I don't think their answer is a very good
0: one. And because that, that seems completely reasonable, um, especially in light—I mean, in light of you guys being giving full disclosure of where you stood on the issue. Um, that you you know you'd make that concession like you know that we can't do it but certainly there's somebody else who can if they want to take the kids for the weekend i mean i, I <laughs> the whole thing's just frustrating. i i i'm frustrated and i'm not i'm not even personally you know invested in the situation but just to hear yeah. what's going on with you I, I i can't even imagine how you you and your wife feel
2: well we yes we were surprised we were upset we felt that we've been taken advantage of, that we were being told what to do, whereas we thought we were partners in the care of these children until they were no longer in our home. Um, we, Additionally, I, I should say, too, that as a compromised position, uh, my wife and I asked that our home still be open for infants and toddlers, because then, presumably, we wouldn't be required to endorse the existence of Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, yeah. and that's the and we we'd hope to do that, but we were that also was, was shut down immediately. That's incredible.
1: I grew up in a foster home. Uh, it was it was my biological home. I wasn't one of the foster children. Uh, I had four foster sisters, all older than me, and one of them, in fact, who's now fifty five years old. Uh, I moved to Des Moines and lives here, and I I still care for her. She's in a semi independent living situation, and so I really I really Derek appreciate. Uh, the heart that you have, and I think from a Christian perspective, all of us that are listening to uh, the radio right now recognize how significant and how important it is for children who are in a position of needing foster care to be in Christian homes. Obviously, secularists would wouldn't necessarily agree with that, right, right. but but this is this is something that really is at the heartbeat of the gospel and the need for Christians to care for widows and orphans and and other vulnerable people in our in our community and. And I just I, I appreciate the fact that you're not giving up here. Uh, you are fighting for the opportunity to be able to serve the Lord and serve people in this way. So thank you, and you're terrifically articulate about the issues politically as well as biblically, and that's just wonderful to hear.
2: Well, I thank you very much for your encouragement, and I, I couldn't agree more that foster parents, Christian foster parents, are the embodiment of God's care and concern for these needy children.
0: Amen amen so we got a couple of minutes left um, so basically what just in the, if you could give us a, a just an overview if if this does go to court what's kind of the first step in in Canada and how can how can our listeners be praying for you and your wife I'm not
2: really clear on the legal process but what I can tell you is this is not a lawsuit for money um, sure the government this is a government agency we don't want to punish the taxpayers for the mistakes of bureaucrats because that's what would be happening if we were looking for money, which we're not. What we do hope is that the agency would admit that it did wrong in our case, that it would open our file, our home again, in case we were ever to move to Hamilton area in Ontario. We have no immediate plans to do that, but we don't know what the Lord will do in time. Mm -hmm. What's more, we'd like to be able to foster and to adopt if the Lord opens the doors anywhere else in Canada. What happened in Ontario could be a barrier to that. Sure. Um... That any agency doing due diligence would we'll see, see that, yeah. um, that we were shut down b- allegedly because we were not meeting the cultural needs of the children in our care, um, and I would. My desire is that the the conscience rights of other Christians would be protected. That the agency would not be allowed to do this to anybody else. As the result of our experience and getting court protection for our uh, for our charter rights.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story. Um, and our, our listeners will will be praying for you and your wife and, and for a, a, a positive outcome uh, if this does go to, to the courts. So
2: thank you so much. Thank you both, men. Appreciate it.
0: This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Stay tuned. We're going to discuss the resurrection, evidence for it next segment. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. We'll be back in a moment.
4: Hi, this is Brian Myers of Myers & Associates. If you're involved in maintenance at a manufacturing plant, you know how costly it can be when a machine goes down. And if the reason that machine went down is because the electronic controls on it failed, it can really be problematic if those electronics are obsolete. Well, not to worry. We represent Providence Industrial Electronics Repair, and they can get your machine up and running in no time. They repair boards, drives, servo motors, light curtains, you name it. So if you need industrial electronics repaired at your plant or if you have other industrial maintenance needs, give me a call at 515-490-2640. That's Myers and Associates, 515-490-2640. Myers and Associates, keeping your operations running.
0: Welcome back to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you in part by Travis Rizwold of Modern Woodmen of America. Call Travis at 515-883-0029 and he can help you find the life insurance you, you need. need. Well, it's Easter weekend, but I was reminded this week that not every believer celebrates Easter.
3: Go
4: play clip one.
3: Because I hate Easter. You see, ladies,
4: I'm not just a Presbyterian. I'm a Scottish Old Believer Presbyterian. Old Believers don't recognize holidays not celebrated by the original apostles, especially one named after the pagan god Eostre. <laughs>
0: so. so <laughs> I that, love that. I know. That was from The Simpsons. I think our last guest would have enjoyed that <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so I was not only reminded this week, but also reminded last segment, uh, and there's obviously a you know a disagreement a cordial disagreement um i will point out that while we highlight easter we highlight jesus resurrection every sunday is the lord's day every sunday you need to be celebrating the resurrection
1: um, that's why we gather on sunday <laughs> yeah so so uh yeah so yeah, surprisingly it,
0: i mean we 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 highlight the historical event i guess
1: i you know um you know, Shane, uh, at at West Kirk, and I don't mean to be tooting my own horn. Oh, here, go ahead. But at West Kirk, we we have a liturgy. All churches have a liturgy. Right. It might be a more contemporary kind of liturgy versus a more traditional liturgy. And and in the last several years, even with our second service, which is less formal than the first, uh, we follow the same liturgy. And the and the beautiful thing about the liturgy, and the and the thing that I love about the liturgy, and I never went to a church that had a more traditional liturgy before in my life. I was going to so, say
0: you were at First Federated. I was at true. First
1: Federated before that. I, I'm I'm really a theological mud. I was I was I was born and sprinkled as a Methodist baby. I was uh, converted as a Baptist kid. Did a lot of non denominational stuff in the so in have the you middle been part sprinkled and life. dunked. I have. Okay. I have. Yeah. And uh, uh, but the but the liturgy that we've developed, which is somewhat of a classic Reformed liturgy, allows us to intentionally walk our way through the gospel every Sunday, regardless of the text that I'm focusing on in right. my preaching ministry. And and I think that's fantastic because we are, we are reminded that God calls us to worship. We are reminded to confess our sins. We do it corporately together. We are assured of the forgiveness of our sins from the scriptures. Mm-hmm. The gospel is presented, and then we are fed by the word. And I think one of the beautiful things about that, and it can be done every Sunday in a contemporary church environment as well, is that we celebrate the resurrection Absolutely. every Sunday, and and uh, you know that clip that uh, Ron played for us is hilarious. But it, there there are people in uh, in very conservative reformed circles, uh, and our previous uh, guest and the and the uh, other segment referred to the reg- regulative principle. This is the mm-hmm. idea from Scripture that we only do in worship what is what is uh, laid out for us in scripture, right. uh, of course, nobody seems to exactly agree on what well, that, that is, yeah. which is the problem with the regulative principle. But, but the principle itself is sound. Uh, but that's the beautiful thing about, about worshiping on Sunday. It should, it should cause us to reflect and celebrate the resurrection each and every Sunday, not just this week.
0: Yes, Absolutely. Well, I just wanted to uh, just a couple.
1: I have up. no idea if you wanted to talk about that at all.
0: Oh, that's fine. We, this is kind of, I mean, we, yeah,
1: resurrection is, is the overarching. <laughs> I just thing. inserted myself right there in your show. <laughs> that's
0: Shane. okay. Well, I, I, I did open the door for it, okay. so, so that's all right.
1: Um, you can get us back on track now.
0: Yes. LifeWay uh, did a poll last fall. They found that two-thirds of Americans, 64%, say the biblical accounts of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus are completely accurate. Um, which is actually higher than I thought it would. Yeah, be. Yeah, that's surprising. So Wonder- that's all Americans, It's so. not just not just Christians. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. A quarter, twenty three percent disagree. Thirteen percent are not sure. Almost all of these with evangelical. Almost all of those with evangelical beliefs, ninety eight percent agree. As do more than half of Americans who do not hold evangelical beliefs, which is amazing to me. Fifty six percent. Excellent. Now you go to UK. Uh, a BBC poll uh, just released. Shows that a quarter of people in the UK identifying as Christians do not believe in the resurrection. Now, let me say this: If you are you identify as a Christian and you do not believe in the resurrection, you are not a Christian.
3: <laughs>
0: uh, it's kind of a requirement. It's uh, a bold statement, but it's w- absolutely true. Romans ten nine says, uh, you know that that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. We will be saved. If you can't, if you say, you don't believe that God raised him from the dead, oh, Shane, you are so controversial. I know, I know. <laughs> but there, there are, you
1: have to believe in the resurrection. Sorry, there are a handful of essential doctrinal views that all Christians must hold to be Christian. Yes, uh, and among them are two miracles. We believe in these miracles, Shane. One of them is the Holy Spirit's conception of Mary, mm-hmm. the Immaculate Conception and the, and, the, and the Virgin Birth, and the other is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If either one of these miracles, real miracles, did not occur, then Christianity is just not true. Absolutely. And, and everything we're doing here is in vain.
0: Yeah, and, so and they're
1: essential. We the, cannot deny those the things.
0: The Apostle Paul affirmed, you know, affirmed that in, in 1 Corinthians 15. So Absolutely, basically the our, resurrection chapter. Our, our, our faith would be in vain if we... If the resurrection did not happen, we would still be, you know, dead in our sin. Yes, we would, we still would. be, uh, you know, Jesus wouldn't have been victorious. The
1: cross would have been meaningless. And I mean, we, it just—that's right. So we would have to pay for the penalty of our sins ourselves, absolutely. and we would all be doomed.
0: So, so, but the resurrection is is something that we can defend. Uh, there's a lot of evidence out there, and and Josh McDowell, I think, has done. Great work. He's got a book out. He's got several books out. This is what he's uh, known for. Yes, he's an apologist. If you're not familiar with who Josh McDowell is, I, I just wanted to highlight a few things that evidences, proofs that he has mentioned, uh, just so if you have conversation with people, because even whether you celebrate Easter weekend or not, it is Easter weekend, um, and people are is. focused on it. They're thinking about it. You might have opportunities to talk to people who don't darken the door of a church that may not understand these things, And may have questions, and basically, there's a lot of there's historical evidence pointing to the resurrection. After um, he said, "Here are here are some of the facts for uh, relevant to the resurrection that Jesus of Nazareth, a Jewish prophet who claimed to be the Christ, prophesied in the Jewish scriptures, was arrested and was judged a political criminal and was crucified. Three days after his death and burial, some women who went to his tomb." found the body gone in subsequent weeks his disciples claimed that God raised him from the dead and he appeared to him appeared to them various times before ascending into heaven so from that foundation you know christianity spread throughout the roman empire and has continued to exert great influence down through the centuries uh, you have you know you you have there's so many new testament accounts eyewitness accounts of the resurrection you have the women first ran into Jesus. Now, if if this was a totally made-up account, would women
1: be the first eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection? That's an excellent point you make there, Shane, because in those days, women were not considered credible witnesses. They weren't even considered citizens, really. Right. They were property of their fathers or their husbands, whichever the case was. And so God in his providence affirming women, and throughout the New Testament we see various affirmations of women, including in the genealogy of Jesus, which was also unusual in Matthew chapter 2. These women are the first eyewitnesses. But one of the things even before that that is significant for us, and, and, and to get back to your point, your point there was, if this was if this was a fabricated event, they wouldn't have women be the eyewitnesses. Right, it's like, like right. make it really good, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, But But even before that, I mean, uh, you know, the religious leaders posted guards at the tomb because right. they understood the claims of Jesus— the claims that there would be a resurrection. They knew very well, and they, uh-huh. they posted guards to be sure that if there was going to be any attempt to steal the body and claim a resurrection, they would be able to thwart that. And, of course, through, over the last 2,000 years, no body has ever been found. Absolutely, absolutely. And here's, yeah, here's some facts here. Fact number one, broken Roman
0: seal. The first obvious fact was the breaking of the seal that stood for the power and authority of the Roman Empire. The consequences of breaking the seal were extremely severe. Uh, the... Uh, he McDowell writes, the FBI and CIA of the Roman Empire were called into action to find the man or men who were responsible. If they were apprehended, it meant automatic execution by crucifixion upside down. People feared breaking the seal. Jesus' disciples displayed signs of cowardice when they hid themselves. Peter, one of these disciples, went out and denied Christ three times. So they're not going to just, they're not, first of all, going to
1: go overpower Roman guards Right and and, and break and the, the guards were threatened with their lives as well if anything happened absolutely on their watch. Well, and so. it's remarkable too that
0: the, the, that the the, the, the the Jewish leaders convinced him to say you were you were asleep,
1: right, right, um, which was not exactly a uh, it, well. It, let's put it this way: it was a blemish on their military, record. absolutely dereliction
4: yeah, of duty. That's right, right. and then, that,
1: we, that was preferable to having been present and on guard when the body was removed. Yeah. Um, so then, one of the- our Facebook uh, listeners, Stacy, by the way, is a big fan of Josh McDowell. So I think she's probably enjoying this conversation oh, cool. right now. Oh, cool! All right, so yeah. Then of course you got the empty tomb. Um, yeah. yeah. You
0: see, both Jewish and Roman sources and traditions admit an empty tomb. Uh, those resources range from Josephus to a compilation of fifth-century Jewish writings called the uh, uh, Tolodoth, uh Jesu. Uh, Doctor Paul Meyer calls this positive evidence from a hostile source which is the strongest kind of historical evidence. In essence, this means that if a source admits a fact decidedly not in its
1: favor, then the fact is genuine. That's right. So, and put it in other words, uh, some of these historians that have recorded or at least mentioned the belief among some that this man Jesus was raised from the dead are not Christians. Right. They are they're, they're Jewish historians or Roman historians, and they're laying this out for us to look at and to research now even today uh, to to give us solid evidence that these claims were in fact justified.
0: Yeah, and then, you know, some people will say, "Well, Jesus just swooned on the cross; he wasn't really dead." Right. And okay, let's let's in, let's, in the cool of the tomb, he revived. Right. Right. Let's let's let's, let's go over this. Okay, Jesus was scourged before he was put on the,
1: which was enough to kill a man anyway. That's yes. why they gave him thirty-nine of forty lashes, because forty lashes was thought to kill you. Yeah. So they only gave him thirty-nine, 39. Which, which put him at the at the point of death right. prior to being nailed to the cross.
0: Yeah, so then you're nailed to the cross, so not uh, through your wrists and through your ankles and and you're asphyxiating. That's that's how you die. Right. It's a um, form of of suffocation. Right and and not to mention just the the dehydration that occurs and you know with the hot sun beating down on you. And then and then he dies. And then a spear is jabbed into his side. Okay, so keep in mind, all of this occurred. Then he's put into a tomb. Then a huge stone, which weighed about a ton and a half, was rolled in front of the, the entrance, probably creating an, a nice seal. So mm-hmm. how much air did he really have? So to think that somebody's going to recover after all that, and, and throw, throw, not to mention he's bound up with yeah. burial cloths to think that he's going to suddenly revive
1: break free and then somehow get out of the tomb it's just it's ludicrous yeah absolutely and and I don't know that we appreciate all of the details that we see in the gospel accounts of this of course there'll be people that say you can't use the bible as evidence but the, uh, the but the bible has been affirmed throughout the centuries as a credible historical document affirmed in part because of the archaeological evidence and the extra-historical evidence, like you've talked about already, Shane, yeah. Josephus, and others, that affirm the things that are talked about in Scripture. But uh, we don't appreciate some of those details, and, and I often find that preaching the texts of, of, uh, uh, of well-known passages is, is fun because we all think, and everybody in the congregation thinks, we already know this story. Right. But when we look more closely, we find these things, like being bound in the burial cloths. You know, let, let's say somebody in that day was put in, was entombed and wrapped, and 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 did actually revive. You couldn't even get yourself out of the cloths. Yeah, I mean, you're wrapped up like a mummy, it, in, right? Uh, not not the same. I'm not saying he was uh, mummified, but right. but he's wrapped up in this way. So,
0: it, and especially he'd be in a weakened condition anyway. But even if you weren't,
1: you'd still have a hard time getting out. Right. Blood loss, dehydration. Many physicians over the years have written accounts of what physiologically occurs at the time of a scourging, at the time of a crucifixion. Yeah. Uh, and, and how the evidence from the scriptures, from the gospel accounts, affirms that these things actually took place. So if, if he were put into the tomb, if he somehow survived all of that and was just unconscious, he would have certainly died from shock. Absolutely. In, in the tomb. He could so. have died from a dozen different things that occurred to him so. during these crucifixion events. And we we're almost out of time The segment.
0: Flew by. So this, there's a lot of evidence. So stand firm on the resurrection, guys. Um, Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell's Lee a great Strobel, resource. Case for Christ. Yep. A lot of good resources. Absolutely. Hey, this is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment.
4: Hi, this is Brian Myers. When I needed a better life insurance plan, I found it with Travis Riswold of Modern Woodmen of America. When I first met Travis, he wasn't like some other life insurance agents that can be pushy and try to get you to buy something. Travis just made himself available to me. That was it. He told me to let him know if and when I needed anything, and he stayed in touch. When the day came and I did need to make some changes with my life insurance, Travis met with me and walked me through several options so I could make an informed decision. Ultimately, it was the best decision for my situation. So if you need a better or the best life insurance plan for you... Call my friend Travis Rizvold with Modern Woodman. His number is 515-883-0029. Travis Rizvold with Modern Woodman. He can help you find the life insurance you need. Call him at
0: 515-883-0029. Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, a stimulating look at culture, current events, faith, and politics from a Christian and conservative point of view. We don't just talk on the radio, we blog, too. Check us out at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Now grab a cup of coffee and join us. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. And welcome back to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you in part by Crosswalk Ministries with Scott Owen, who offers biblical counseling and conciliation. Give him a call at 515-292-7141 or go to crosswalkcounseling.org. Well, this is our news rundown segment, and we got a few items here I'd like to talk about. In Alabama, an interesting story has um, is, is taken place. Uh, NPR reports that a church can now start its own police force, um, according to the Alabama Senate, who just passed a, uh, a bill allowing churches to do that. Um, from NPR, a large church in Alabama is one step closer to creating its own police force. A move that seems to be without precedent in the United States—not exactly, but anyway—the um, state Senate has approved legislation that would give church police officers the same powers as other law enforcement officers have in Alabama. Wow! After having approved by Alabama Senate on a twenty-four to four vote, the bill now heads to the state House representatives, where an identical bill was sent to the Public Safety and Homeland Security Committee in February. Both chambers' legislation specifically names. Briarwood Presbyterian Church, uh which is actually belongs to the PCA, uh Presbyterian okay. Church mm-hmm. in America or of America? I can't remember how that. Of America. Of I America. Believe. Okay. Which is in Birmingham, it's a mega church. They, that says it needs its own police for officers to keep it school as well as as it's more than 4,000 person congregation
1: safe. Well, if they're presbyterians, I guess I can't be critical about that then, can I?
0: well you
1: you can. <laughs> I don't I don't know how I feel about that. I'm not, I'm not critical really. I, I guess I uh, I guess I appreciate that the uh, the government in Alabama wants to affirm the need for security in the local church. Right. Uh, it has not occurred to me until this morning that this might be something we, we would consider. Well, we do have a security team though, and I think in any church that has insurance, surely has being is being encouraged by their insurer to have a security team that can think about and protect the church, the pastor, the, the parishioners from, from these kinds of events that uh, we see throughout the news. So Yeah, the ball got rolling out for the, this church after Sandy Hook. A little bit, something
0: unique with them is they also have a school uh-huh. on their campus. Sure, sure. So in, or in Iowa, for instance, um, especially, well, now that we ha- had that gun omnibus bill pass and, and the governor signed this week, we've got Stand Your Ground uh, law, uh, we all already have a pretty robust uh, carry. Uh, That's right, mm-hmm. carry law. So I don't think it's necessarily needed in Iowa because if you want to carry in church, unless your church has specific rules, you can. Correct. So you can have armed security. Um, with a if there's a school though, and if the state has if you know gun free zone laws, it could be that in order to have armed security, they have to be sworn law enforcement officers. Yeah. So I'm just I'm I'm kind of curious. I'd like to dig into some of the particulars in, in Alabama.
1: Well, it's very interesting. Brian is uh, Brian has piped in on Facebook to correct us and say the PCA stands for Presbyterian Church in America. Okay. So I guess if I have any future in the PCA, I probably ought to get that right. <laughs> so I had it Thank right. Thank you, Brian. So I just, thought it was just all for the in America. record, I was right. Michael was wrong. Well, you asked me. If <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> Stacy, though, who piped in earlier, wanted to let us know how much she appreciates the program today. She's a first-time listener. Awesome. Shame, awesome. So that's pretty exciting, and she cool. she likes the fact that we're talking, or at least we did in the previous segment, about things that all Christians doctrines that all Christians should be united about. Absolutely. But this is an interesting uh, story uh, about the uh, the approval of of uh, allowing churches in the state of Alabama to have their own police force and have that police force have the same uh, authority as the local communities.
0: Yeah. Their jurisdiction would just be obviously the campus.
1: Right. Right. But yeah, they could say, we can arrest you. And they, where they, would they, where we, would they take them to the front <laughs> pew? To the front pew. <laughs> You're yeah. going to have to sit in the front pew. Right. Right.
0: <laughs> All right. Moving put on. Put Somebody
1: there to make sure they don't fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. Moving See, some on. Some people here. would call that torture.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Trump reverses Obama-era rule stopping state-level Planned Parenthood defunding. This is from the Christian Post. President Donald Trump has signed into law a, a, a bill, or a, excuse me, signed a bill into law That's right. that, I'll get that out, that overturns an Obama-era rule prohibiting states from defunding from abortion providers like Planned Parenthood. Late into his second term, President Barack Obama had the Health and Human Resources Department finalize the regulation stopping states from withholding federal Title 10 family planning funds from abortion providers. President Trump signed the measure revoking the rule, thus allowing the states to deprive funding from entities like Planned Parenthood. And I know Texas, that originally tried to do this, was batted down. They just put in another bill and they're taking another go at it. Iowa's obviously trying to do this. So it's nice to know that the federal government will not get in our
1: way from doing that. I think one of the things that's most... uh, most appreciated about this effort is so so often in uh, the lifetimes of those of us who are middle aged Christian Americans right now we mm-hmm. have seen we've put our government in the position to take some action only to see two years four years go by and nothing change right and so the fact that this administration I, in my opinion somewhat surprisingly coming out of the Trump administration because I had low expectations right uh, but uh, th- they're affirming some of the things that they that they. Uh, Talked about that that President Trump campaigned for, particularly among evangelical voters, and uh, and so he's following through, even on what you know might seem to uh, to many conservatives to be somewhat minor political issues here, mm-hmm. but the, pretty significant to us uh, who are who are evangelicals, who are conservative, who really right. are looking to make some progress on the uh, on the abortion debate. You
0: know, I I was a, a never Trump guy, but I was I'm delightfully surprised by some of the decisions he's making. Uh, there's some things that, you know, I still have areas of concern, obviously.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, but
0: yeah, my I, I areas also, of
1: concern right now, Shane, are more with the uh, House and the Senate. Right, uh, right. That they're actually going to uh, come together and, and, and make some uh, positive, pass some positive bills. Absolutely. Not, not negative bills, but ones that will actually accomplish what we're I, hoping to I, accomplish. I
0: agree with you. Uh, yeah. Next story, Hank Hanegraaff turns to Eastern Orthodoxy Uh, also from the Christian Post, an evangelical radio personality known as the Bible Answer Man and president and chairman of Eastern, excuse me, Eastern, I I can read, really, I can can read, um, of the Christian Research Institute was formally received into the Eastern Orthodox Church Sunday. The Christian Post confirmed that Hank Hanegraaff was, um, I had, christened, uh, something happened with uh, my. Uh, I wondered
4: uh, about that word when I read yeah, that. Yeah, you know, Car- it was word supposed to be not. christened
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on Palm Sunday at. Uh, I'm not going to try to say the name of the church. I agree with the Orthodox church it's in Charlotte, Saint North somebody, Carolina. Isn't yeah, it?
1: Saint Somebody. Anyway, um, I don't mean to be, you know, make fun. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't my intent there. Rod, Rod Dreher, who I'm himself not part is, of that tradition, so I could, yeah, I'm not looking at the name, but I probably couldn't pronounce it either. Uh, Rod
0: Dreher, who's also an Orthodox Christian, he uh, uh, writes CrunchyCon at the American, uh, the American Conservative, and he's author of the best-selling book, The Benedict Option, um, said he was, you know, many, many evangelicals seek the early church, well, here it is, in Orthodoxy. Uh, he said, I'm sure, some, uh, I'm sure some will be scandalized by Hanegraaff's conversion, but I hope at least some will wonder how someone as knowledgeable about the Bible as Hank could convert to Orthodoxy and go to a divine liturgy to taste and see what it's like. So um, he humorously told Christian Post about 11 years ago he came to the foreign country
1: called Orthodoxy and now cannot imagine being anywhere else. Well, that's an interesting story, and I know a lot of evangelicals have been talking about it. I think the thing that uh, that is most interesting to me, or the thing that I wonder about, Shane, with regard to this story is how many Christians are knowledgeable about the Scriptures, or knowledgeable theologically enough, and I'm not even sure I am, to be honest with you, that, that they don't just look at the story and go, oh, that's interesting. Uh, no big deal. It's just another denomination, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's probably how a lot of Americans view it, in part, though, because... We just don't have a whole lot of familiarity with the Eastern Orthodox tradition. Right. Uh, the, the the Greek Orthodox Church comes out of this tradition. The Russian Orthodox Church comes out of this tradition. But but we don't interact with these folks right. on a regular basis. Although- a lot,
0: there there are a lot of similarities between them and the Catholic Church. It's very high church, very liturgical.
1: Well, yes, oh. but we have the Western Church because the, the Eastern Church. Church left, right? Or, right? Or, or maybe they would say because the Western Church left. left I'm yeah. not sure. But but then this was this was a this was you know uh, hundreds of years ago. So it's not even on the forefront of our historical minds. Absolutely. Uh, when this all went out went about and what it was about. Hey, well, maybe we'll have to have a discussion about that in
0: a future show. Hey, this is Cafe Thoughts Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment.
3: To those around you, you're the picture of composure and control, but in reality, you know that it is you that is being controlled. Your habit is dominating your life. I'm Scott Owen with Crosswalk Ministries of Central Iowa, and it's time to pause for peace. God gave you the ability to pursue your desires. However, when your desires start to grow out of control, you start to jeopardize your peace with God and with others. The Bible says each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and when it is fully grown, brings forth death. God's plan is for you to be controlled by His grace, not your desire's. If you want help with a life-dominating habit, call Crosswalk Ministries at 515-635-5465 or visit online at crosswalkcounseling.org. That's crosswalkcounseling.org.
0: Hey, do you want to take advantage of the marketing potential within social media for your company or organization, but you're not so sure how? Let me help. My company, 415 Communications, is a social media consulting firm that works with groups like yours. Go to 415communications.com or give me a call at 515-321-5077. And now it's time for our new feature in Caffeine. I guess when do we stop calling it new? We've done this for a few weeks. It's time for... Uh, our new old feature our Our new old old feature our old new new feature yes (laughs) on Caffeine Thoughts Radio due to the incredible sheer volume of material we have available because the leader of the free world loves Twitter today we're once again ending the show with our new feature so without further delay drumroll please may I present to
1: you the top Trump tweet of the week (laughs) I can hardly wait the previous the, the feature previously known as the new feature yes
0: I I liked it. They liked it. They liked it. You really like us. (laughs) Yay. I I have to admit. Turn those boys off. I I have to admit that it was harder this week. It was legitimately harder. President Uh, Trump
1: must have been busy. He must have been busy, or somebody took control of his Twitter. He's probably going to so many. Uh, Holy Week services. Yes, that that are being scheduled at various churches around the Beltway. That he has not been able to tweet as much as he, he normally. He's is. going. Probably, yeah, he's, he's going been, to all the churches. Yep. Yep.
4: He's been all tuckered out, and he's been sleeping through the night instead of tweeting. So
0: nobody, nobody, no, <laughs> nobody goes to more churches than I do. And maybe his tweeter is on vacation. <laughs> Could be, whatever that is. Uh, so on a couple tweets that stood out to me. All right. And they were both They both were within just a few minutes of one another. On April 13th at 8.08 a.m., which is an improvement from 3 a.m., which is when oh. the, the juicy tweets usually uh, get get. <laughs> we shall know, not fly. speculate <laughs> on why that is. <laughs> <laughs> he said he wrote or he tweeted, I have great confidence that China will properly deal with North Korea if they're unable to do so. The U.S. with its allies will. Yes. Uh, one story that we were not able to get to last segment, um, basically is from NBC. says the U.S. may launch a uh, strike if North Korea reaches for nuclear trigger. So, uh, NBC r- reported that the U.S. is prepared to launch a preemptive strike with conventional weapons against North Korea should the officials become convinced that North Korea is about to follow through with a nuclear weapons test. Uh, multiple senior U.S. intelligence officials told NBC News. Uh, North Korea has warned of a big event, that a big event is near, and u s officials say signs uh, point to a nuclear test that could come as early as this weekend. Uh, the intelligence officials told NBC News that the u s has positioned two destroyers capable of shooting tomahawk cruise missiles in the region, one just three hundred miles from the North Korean nuclear site i 'm wondering how if the, if North Koreans also paid attention to what happened to Afghanistan
1: with uh, the mother of all bombs being dropped. I heard about that, and I I, I I saw the news story, but I didn't read it. I, I don't know. You know, we tend to think, and perhaps for good reason, that things that happen anywhere in any geopolitical uh, uh, arena uh, are also some kind of secret signal or message yeah. to uh, to leaders in another geopolitical arena. And uh, if that is the case, and I'm sure at some level this is true. Uh, that, that that mother of all bombs, whatever it is, ought to have been uh, perceptively made aware mm-hmm. uh, to to world leaders in other places. I, I think uh, one of the reasons why those tweets sometimes come out uh, at the time they do, Shane, is because they are timed
3: mm-hmm.
1: to be broadcast in when people in other parts of the world are in the middle of their day. That could um, be, too. I mean, but some of the stuff, the, the, the stuff mostly that we, we've... Um focused on has been more,
0: you know, domestic. What's going on? The, the, That's true. That's true. The, the
1: North Korea one, and- though, I think is interesting uh, because uh, President Trump, uh, at the time, around the time he was meeting with the president of China, who right. was making these claims right. uh, that they were going to take, unilateral, or we were going to take unilateral action with or without the cooperation of the Chinese. So very interesting. And of course, We've gotten some positive feedback from the president of China, and that can only be due to his relationship with our own government. And it'd be nice Jerry if Brandstatt. they actually would take care of this problem. They would. So anyway,
0: hey, this is Caffeine Thoughts Radio. Thanks for listening. Uh, check us out on on Facebook. Like our page, and you know, every Friday morning we, we record. Watch us.